Easter is just one week away. And so I've got um, an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old. And whenever they were little boys, Easter was awesome fun. We got to dress them up in little matching outfits. They were so cute. We got to do the Easter egg hunt behind the house. Here we did have the whole family over for dinner and all that kind of stuff. We would go all out Easter Sunday. I loved it. Sometimes, though, you know, the things that we had planned didn't always work out the way we thought they would. Kind of like these Pinterest fails for Easter Sunday. And they're going to, they're counting right now, so they're going to give me, I'm going to give them just a second to jump back up on the stage. There you go. There you go. Oh, she's going so fast. That's great. Thank you so much. She's doing two jobs. How about this one? That didn't quite work out the way it was supposed to, did it? All right, how about this one over here? I don't know what happened there, but it's bad. (laughs) How'd you like to eat that? Pull that out with the kids. They'd be scarred forever. How about that? I don't know who makes a black deviled egg, but that's just just not right. I mean, in green, that's not a good choice either. How about this one? Ooh. I think that the, the attempt was there, but it just didn't work out, did it? Sometimes... Things just don't work out. They don't quite meet the expectations that we have. I was planning for the sermon, and I was going through different things that are expectations that we have. And I bumped into an article from Forbes that was written back in 2016. It said, eight unrealistic expectations that will ruin you, okay? Now, me being the OCD person that I am, can't just do eight. So I added two more. So it's a full nice round 10 number and all that kind of stuff. But here, check these out. These are the eight unrealistic expectations that will ruin you. Number one, life should be fair. Life is never fair, is it? Life should be fair. How about this one? An unrealistic expectation that will ruin you. Opportunities will fall into my lap. Now nah, you got to work for it. Sorry. Bump into teenagers all the time. They're, they're like, why don't I have any money? <laughs> you don't have a job. <laughs> it's not hard to figure out. Here's one that I struggle with. In fact, this triggers me just a little bit. Everyone should like me. I don't know why people don't like me. I'm fabulous. But an unrealistic expectation is that everyone will like you. And here's one that the politicians haven't figured out. People should agree with me. Really? People don't always agree, don't do they? How about this in the, the, the next four here? People know what I'm trying to say. This has caused more arguments amongst husbands and wives. You're, you're doing basic sitting for dinner having a conversation, and all of a sudden it starts with a misunderstanding, and then you try to explain what you're saying and what you mean, and it doesn't work out. And your wife is like, I don't, what? And you're just getting, you're just getting madder and mad at you. I'm seeing people laughing, because this is, this is reality, right? It just kind of keeps building and building and building and snowballing, and this is just, a, it's an unrealistic expectation that people are always gonna understand what you're trying to say. How about this one? If you've fallen into this one, I'm going to fail. It's an unrealistic expectation that sometimes we place on ourselves. I will fail at this. It's not fair to yourself, is it? If you don't risk anything, you'll never succeed. How about this? Things will make me happy. Things 
will make me happy. It's an unrealistic expectation that I think a lot of us have, especially whenever we're younger, we just kind of assume that if I get the next job, the next house, the next clothes, the next boat, the whatever, it'll make me happy. And it may for a little bit, but not long-term, right? Here we go. <laughs> I can change, and this is just, let's just be honest, I can change him. <laughs> Honey, you can't change him. The only person that can change him is him. Unrealistic expectations, that will ruin you. Here's two more, circa 2022. Social media reflects what others think of me. If I post something online, I am bad about this. I'll post something online and about two hours later, I'll go back and find my post just to see how many people like it. And if I get the love on it, it's amazing. (laughs) And if I get comments and they're not nasty, it's even better. I fall into that trap too. I think that what people think of me is reflected about how they respond to me on social media. And this last one, Social media reflects someone else's reality. We tell this to teenagers all the time. I have to, is that don't compare someone else's highlight reel, aka their social media, their airbrushed Instagram pictures, with your real life. It's an unrealistic expectation that will ruin you. I was bumped into another quote that was really interesting. It says, unrealistic expectations are premeditated resentments. But what if the expectations aren't unrealistic? What if the expectations you have for someone else are real? What if they're honest and true? What if whenever you stood up here and made your vows, You are serious, but they were not. What do we do then? What do we do with a God who has, we have expectations about? What do we do whenever God doesn't do what we expect him to do? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, we expect to live 80, 90, 100 years. And some of us don't live into our teenage years. We expect to be loved and adored by a spouse till death do us part. And it may not happen. We expect health. We pray for it. But yet cancer still comes and hits us so hard. And sometimes we place that resentment, we put it on God. What do we do with that? I think Jesus sometimes was misunderstood. It's Palm Sunday in our, in our Christian calendar. And what that means is that we celebrate 
A week before Jesus' resurrection, there was a moment in Mark chapter 11 where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and the people have an expectation. They have an expectation of a man who's able to feed people with nothing. They have an expectation of a man who's able to raise dead people, who's able to heal people. And this Jesus enters into a city. The expectations aren't met. If you've got a Bible, pop open to Mark chapter 11. We're not going to read this passage, but I just want to kind of do a little bit of a survey here. If you've got it online, that's great. On your Bible app, that's cool. Jesus' triumphal entry is in Mark. It's New Testament, second gospel account, chapter 11. Jesus is coming into a city at a fervor. You see, they were oppressed by a Roman government who's dangerous. Their plans for world conquest were ever-expanding. Jesus was going to come into the city, and the people expected him to take over, to take his rightful place on the throne in Jerusalem and rule the entire country of Israel. And so whenever Jesus enters, it's weird he chooses a baby colt or a baby donkey, but it doesn't matter. The people are so spun up, they don't care. They're singing Hosanna and playing their coats on the ground and taking palm branches and waving them. They're expecting the swell of opportunity and momentum to carry them to a victory. And the Romans knew it. You see, you don't go picking fights with a man who's able to refeed an army without supply lines. You don't pick a fight with a man who commands an army that he's able to heal miraculously. The Romans knew what this meant. The people knew what this meant. But Mark chapter 11 does something to just, well, whenever I read it, it blew me away. And again, I don't have this on the screen, but I'm going to get to just a second here. It says, so Jesus came into Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Jesus walks into Jerusalem with all of this pomp and this fanfare, and maybe he wanted it or not, it doesn't matter. The people gave it to him. And then Jesus looks around, and he's like, it's getting dark. I think I'm going to go home. Unmet expectations. And then it gets weird. The whole last week of Jesus' life is strange. Just taking a cursory glance as I read through the headers here. The very next morning, Jesus curses a fig tree for not producing fruit. We can say that's weird, right? Jesus then, without stopping, goes into the temple. Great, he's going to take over. No, 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 no. He flips over the money changers' tables and throws them all out. That's weird. The next day, Jesus' authority is challenged. 
Who doesn't love having their authority challenged? Isn't that great? You got a kid and they're like, who says you are? <laughs> and then Jesus gives a couple of parables about evil farmers. He's just winning people left and right. It is great. And then Jesus gets into Jesus gets into taxes. Because that's a way to win over people. Let's talk about taxes. You see, Jesus was about ready to just make everybody mad. Because as soon as we do this, right, we assume that Jesus is always on our side of the political aisle. Jesus, in this story, is on nobody's side. Unmet expectations. Again, keep reading through here, scanning and scanning. Jesus calls out Judas as a betrayer. He calls out Peter as a denier. This is a rough week for Jesus. This is tough. And all the while this is happening, Jesus is progressively moving closer and closer to a cross. And I have a feeling, and this isn't written in, so this is me speculating. But I have a feeling that Jesus is wondering more and more if this is actually going to happen. This is going to really happen. What do we do when God doesn't do what we expect him to do? It's totally normal and natural for resentment to build in. I've got a friend, grew up with him. Whenever he was um, an older teenager, his dad was an amazing man. Just one of those just rocks. And not in just his life, his family's life, but in everybody he touched. The guy is a, a Christian, devout. Taught me in Sunday school. Just a couple years older than me. And then he, his dad gets cancer. And he was dating a girl. And they rushed through a wedding to make sure that Dad could be there, that Carl could be there. Carl dies right after that wedding almost. And I remember Pat talking to me because he told me he had become an atheist. He said, I can't love or respect a God that kills my father. I didn't have a word for him. I didn't have a teaching that I could go to and say, here's why it's going to be okay, because it wasn't okay. So what do we do when God doesn't do what we expect him to do? Well, we can have resentment, can't we? It's understandable. Check out this quote here. It says, when resentment reigns in your heart, faith does not thrive in your soul until the emergence of something more powerful. 
I don't know that resentment is a sin. I don't know that being disappointed is a sin. I don't know that having unmet expectations of God is a sin. What do we do with them? That's what matters. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 14 and see how Jesus deals with a moment of incredible emotion and stress. Let's see if we can learn a lesson here. Let's pick up in verse 32. This is the the scene of the Garden of Gethsemane, if you're familiar with it. After Jesus has celebrates Passover with his disciples, he takes some of them out to a garden to pray, and he takes along with him Peter, James, and John. They went to the olive garden, or the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed, with grief to the point of death. Stay here, keep watch with me. 35 says he went on a little farther and fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour of awaiting him might pass by him. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, why are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Verse 39 says, then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead, sleep, have your rest. No, time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. The 2004 movie, Passion of the Christ, gives us a glimpse of what this might have looked like. I wanted to share that with you right now, so check out the screens. Papa. Kulit kehu. Henke hell. Kostige ite mini. A kin luck is far. Leho ite luck is far. Can you place yourself in that scene? It's an olive garden. Smell of trees, olives, flowers. And at the same time, the stench of death as Satan himself enters. For this moment, this moment is important. This is the moment whenever Jesus decides what's going to happen next. The disciples, (laughs) Jesus' best friends, Confidants, they fell asleep. 
scriptures tell us. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and we'll keep watch with me. The Gospel of Luke talks about that whenever Jesus was there, he was so in, in agony, so stressed, that as he was kind of clenching everything and praying, that as sweat formed, the capillaries actually were bursting and blood was coming through. This moment where I would probably imagine Jesus is having an anxiety attack. He is panicking in this moment, right here. If you've ever had an anxiety attack, Jesus knows what that feels like. Your world's crashing in. It feels like you're going to die. And so what does Jesus do? Verse 36 helps us here. Jesus cries out, Abba, Father, now let's stop, because that's important. We kind of pass this by. Abba is an interesting word, and it doesn't have a real good English translation to it. So Mark tries to help us out. Abba is Aramaic, Jesus' original language. And in many cases, we think that it means daddy. But that's only part of what it means. See, Mark also puts father on there as well. Father is, as the rest of his book, written in Greek. So we've got Aramaic and Greek. And what Mark is trying to do is he's trying to help us out. He's trying to help blend these two words together to mean more than just daddy. The idea here is, is that there's an intimate relationship that Jesus is claiming. And it's not just the intimacy, it's also the obedience that goes with it. You see, for you and for me, whenever we have a little bit of resentment for, with God or whenever we don't, whenever God doesn't do what we expect him to do, sometimes we kind of just pull back and pull away. We isolate ourselves from our friends, from our family, from the people that care about us and love us and from the God who loves our soul. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus leans in to the moment. What Jesus also does is he claims and he knows truth. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Jesus cries out, God, Daddy, Father, everything is possible for you. And Jesus knows this better than anybody else on the planet. God can do anything, even make this go away. I think it's safe to say Jesus wants this to go away. I don't think Jesus wants to die. I don't think Jesus wants to be rejected, humiliated, tortured, and abandoned by his friends and his father on the cross. How do I know that? The next sentence. Please, take this cup of suffering away from me. 
He knows what he's going to endure. Jesus knows what it's going to take. And Jesus wants any opportunity to make this not happen. But Jesus does something that I know I struggle with. Because I've asked, the, I've asked God, look, you can take this away. <laughs> I, if it's okay with you, don't make me go through this. But what Jesus does is not just lean in. He also obeys. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus predetermines his obedience. So what does Jesus do? Number one, he leans in and he trusts God's heart. That even whenever we don't understand what God is doing, we can trust his heart that he loves us, that he's seeing a bigger picture, that he knows there's something greater on the other side. It's a quote that I found. It says, to trust means to rely on another person because you feel safe with them. And you have confidence that they will not hurt or violate you. Trust is the foundation of relationships because it allows you to be vulnerable and open up to the person without having to defensively protect yourself. Jesus leans in and trusts his father. We need to find the strength to do that too. But trust is dangerous. Trust is risky. For me, <laughs> trust requires me to transfer control from myself and place it in God's hands. The psalmist dealt with this as well. Psalms chapter 77, verse 5 through 12 says, I think of the good old days, long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And then he puts an interlude of music in there. He forces us to sit and think about that. Have you ever felt that way? Like God has slammed the door on his compassion. The psalmist continues, and I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me but, and sometimes in scripture, there's a but. But then I recall all that you've done. 
I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Trust your father's heart and remember his faithfulness to you in the past. Lean in. What else does Jesus do? He lives out. He obeys God's word, which is in character for Jesus. <laughs> in John chapter 14, verses 15, he says, If you love me, obey my commandments. Jesus isn't going to say something and not do it. Jesus does the same thing. We have a, a hymn that we used to sing a lot around here in those white hymnals. It was hymn number 447. Here's the third verse. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Shockingly, that hymn was titled, Trust and Obey. Growing up, it was one of my favorites. I don't know why. Just latched on. But there's been moments in my life whenever I was in the midst of my own dark night of the soul and I thought that God had abandoned me. And I remembered this hymn. And it just kind of came to me. I would hum it at first, not remembering the words. But then the more I would hum, the more I would find the words and trust and obey would come back. So what do we do when God doesn't do what we expect him to do? Number one, we lean in. And then we live out. Live out requires obedience. It also requires something else. This quote was amazing, and I don't have it on the screen. It's in the notes on our webpage. Uh, if you go to fcbc.life slash notes or find the sermon notes, um, this next quote is in there. Plus, there's a lot of extra reading. So if, if you're having your own dark night of the soul, um, I invite you to go to the notes page on our website. There's some extra places where you can read and see and, and, and kind, of, kind of dig in a little bit more. Here's the quote that I've got here. It says, the next step is the creation of a lifestyle that keeps us connected to this resentment-conquering love. We develop and maintain practices that sustain our awareness of the presence of God. And we do the introspections to examine, to name, and to eradicate the unrealistic expectations we've accumulated. Don't ever let a pastor tell you that if you just believe that you'll be either wealthy, healthy, or happy. It's not that simple. There is no little water pouch. I saw a commercial yesterday, little water pouch, holy water. People were talking in testimonials that this, <laughs> they're gonna get like thousands of dollars in the mail. Eh. My wife turned to me and she goes, you wanna buy that for me? As a joke, and I said, no. <laughs> 
There is no health and wealth. There's only trust and obey, lean in and leave out, live out. So here's your homework. Number one, sit down this week. Some coffee, some tea. I want you to just sit. Get quiet. Think about this week. That Jesus loved you so much. He was willing to endure humiliation, rejection, torture, and death for you. There's a saying that's both uplifting and also challenging to me. If you were the only person on the planet, Jesus would still step out of heaven, step onto the face of the planet, and allow you to kill him in order to save your soul. I love that phrase because it shows God's love for me. But I'm also challenged by that phrase because I don't know if I always live up to that. So your homework this week is to lean in, dare to trust God's heart and remember his past faithfulness to you. And then live out. Decide in advance to obey God's word. Lean in, live out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are complicated and complex. At the same time that we love you and we sing praises about you, we also struggle with you. Because sometimes you ask us to walk through things that we don't want to walk through. And so like Jesus, we ask you to take this cup of suffering away from us. And it is suffering. But God, help us to follow Jesus' example. To lean in and trust your heart and how much you love us and how faithful you have been to us over the years and then to live out of that obedience, the predetermined obedience that no matter what you're asking us to do, our answer is gonna be yes ahead of time. Yes, because you love us, you have the best for us and we know that all things will work out for those who are loved by you. So God, this week, we lean on you. We worship you. We invite others to come and see you. Father, we need your strength to make that happen. Father, may your Holy Spirit work in us and through us and enable us to do the kinds of things that we can't do on our own to trust you like we can't do on our own, to obey you like we can't do on our own. Father, may your Holy Spirit so empower us that it can help us reach higher for everything that you have for us, God. 
Because this life is not enough. This circumstance is not enough. Father, we yearn for more. We yearn for you. And we will love you and we will praise you and we will honor you and we will glorify you and we will share you with others because our life is different as a result of being with you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.